1: Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Miami Open catch-up. Carlos Alcaraz captures
0: the biggest title of his career.
1: Iga Svantec strolls past Naomi Osaka.
0: And John Isner secures the sunshine double with two different partners.
1: (laughs) today is the 4th of april and we are here to take a look back on all the finals action from the miami open at passing shot hq we've had a fun action-packed couple of days in miami we've got our men's champion and our ladies champion iga sviontek and carlos alcaraz and it's been a pretty good i think pretty good tournament I think you know there was a worry going in particularly I think on the men's side you know there was no Novak Djokovic no Rafa Nadal obviously no Roger Federer and it really was left to the the young guns and I feel like they've properly stepped up with uh, Alcaraz and Rude getting to the final and then of course on the women's side Iga Swiatek. yes we had all the news about Ash Barty retiring Iga Swiatek becoming the world number one and she is just she is just going on and on and on Streak wins are plenty, beating Osaka in the final. I think this tournament really has, you know, on the face of it, you know, some people might have said lacked star power, star quality, maybe at the start of the uh the tournament. But by the end of it, I think I'm I'm looking back on this tournament as a real a real shot in the arm for the the ATP and WTA tennis tours.
0: Yeah, they're both uh fantastic winners, I think, very much deserved, and real positive, kind of feel good news stories. But mm. most importantly, Joel they're both winners that I predicted, so I should have really... You have,
1: you have said this to me. <laughs> I think I've been taking a tally of how many times you're mentioning this to me. This is like the 11th time. I think you're sa- you savouring this moment, aren't you?
0: It doesn't happen very often that I predict <laughs> like, both winners, so I think I wish I'd put money on it. I could have you know, earned a fortune. Although, I mean I'm sure everyone predicted Shiontek and I think Alcries would have been up there as well, so I can't be too smart, really. <laughs> uh, but yeah, really good news stories. Um, actually, Joel, there was some interesting news stories that came out last week uh, on the 1st of April um, that I was taken aback by at first. And then I quickly realized that it was April Fool's Day. And But <laughs> I was watching one in particular story on Twitter from the US Open where they advertised that they would be starting to have midnight sessions this year. And I thought, Blimey, you know, that's um, not exactly beyond the realms of possibility. It's something that I can no. actually see, like, the USTA doing purely to make, like, more money. Um, and we we know we, we see a lot of these sort of night matches starting at midnight anyway. So I thought, oh, Is that actually a thing? And then, thankfully, it's not.
1: (laughs) Kim, I honestly thought it was already a thing, uh, given some of the late finishes we've had in Flushing Meadow. Uh, Yeah, I know. There were so many little april fools jokes going on and i was trying to decipher is that real is that not real the biggest one for me honestly was francisco serendolo getting to the semi-finals of the miami open i thought that was the the biggest april fools joke going around on on tennis twitter but actually it turned out to be a reality
0: yeah, I think you were pinching yourself, thinking, <laughs> "Blimey, like he's he's got to the semi-finals." But yeah, full credit to him; he had a fantastic like ten days or so. Um, yeah, just lost to to Rude in in that semi, uh, you know, fairly comfortably. But um, and you know, to be fair, he did make use of Sinner retiring in, in the quarterfinal. But full credit to Serendolo; I'm sure he was glad to. Um, prove you somewhat wrong by getting to yes. that stage, Joel. A massive egg on,
1: <laughs> massive egg on face moment for me. Yeah, very good, very very good week for him. Very good week for a lot of you know fringe players. I'd say or players you know not necessarily at the top of the rankings, uh, making really good inroads, getting decent and healthy rankings points. And yeah, I mean, let's start with the the men singles. I feel like it's the only place we could start. Carlos Alcaraz, Casper Rude in the final uh, with Carlos Alcaraz winning in straight sets, 7-5, 6-4. I mean, Kim, Carlos Alcaraz, what, what more can we say about him? He is the youngest ATP Miami winner in history. He's the third youngest Masters 1000 winner since 1990. And he's also the first Spanish man to win in Miami as well. So he is on a very much on an upwards trajectory surprise surprise he's not in the top 10 just yet his new world ranking is number 11 but i mean given the form he's shown this year he's 18 and 2 at the moment you know he's only had two losses i think to berrettini at the australian open and then to uh to rafa last week in indian wells i mean he is just he has just announced himself i feel with with this tournament i think you know we've we've seen we've seen what he can do but it's not necessarily been all the way through the tournament and you know given you know the the significance of this tournament the fact that it's a masters 1000 coupled i think certainly with how young he is it's just i think it's just caught everyone's attention and you could have you could see that in the crowd i think on you know on sunday in that match against kasperov
0: yeah, I mean he's done something that even Rafa hasn't done which is to win Miami. Mm. <laughs> so I was surprised
1: by that actually. I didn't I didn't realize that Rafa hadn't won Miami.
0: He's got to a few finals but always come up second mm-hmm. best um unfortunately. So yeah, it's one of the only masters really that he hasn't won. Um but you know, he's won Indian Wells a few times so Hey ho. Um it's very difficult um like uh, to to do so well you know across both of these tournaments and obviously Carlos got to the semi-finals in Indian Wells lost to Rafa as you said one only his second loss of the year and he's he's come up strong in in Miami was um you know didn't didn't get off to the best of starts in the final against Kasparov you know, he went down um 3-love wasn't really playing his a bit best nervous yeah definitely
1: the the occasion i feel Got to, to him at, him. at that start. A bit, and yeah, I think, you know, that, that was understandable. Uh, you know, Alcaraz and Rude were both in their first ever Masters 1000, uh, finals. And I think, you know, the Al for Alcaraz, I certainly think given the, the manner of his victories, uh, you know, through the week, it just, I think maybe had a little bit more expectation on him. You know, he beat obviously Hubert Hercas in the semi final. Um, and then also beat, you know, Kekmanovic and he also beat Sissipas in the quarterfinals as well. So, you know, he had some really, really, really good wins. And, uh, you know, to come through to the final, he would have obviously wanted to start a lot better than he did. I mean, just kind of watching it on TV, it felt like he was, he was snatching his shots, particularly his forehand. And Rude didn't really have to do a lot. I don't think he was just, just, you know, showing off his forehand hitting, you know, quite a, you know, good, good pace, solid enough from the back of the court. And he just went three uh three love up in a flash. But, you know, to credit to Alcaraz, and I think this is what is so exciting about him is that even though he was down, he just sort of reeled his opponent in, and he he did take that time to kind of find his find his range. But once he did, Casper Ruud really didn't have a you know an answer to
0: it. Yeah, and I think you know if if you have confidence in your abilities, even if you got off to a slightly shaky start, you know you should have got that kind mm. of strength to know, oh, you know, let's give it time. I can, I know I can play better and settle into this. And, you know, he did, didn't panic and Kasparud ultimately couldn't maintain his level whilst Carlos, you know, got better and better, better, as, and better. as the match went on. And, um, you know, full credit, it deserved the the victory. You know, he'd been pretty solid throughout the the whole tournament and, and coming through, you know, some some tight matches. He had a tight match against Hubert Hercas in the semi-final that was two tiebreak sets, and and Herkaj, you know, was the defending champion from from last year. Um, you know, he had a tight match also against Kekmanovic, so he's had to really battle his way through and work super hard and and win those like clutch moments where the pressure's been on. Yeah. and it's, it's mattered at the latter stages of sets. Um, obviously beat Sitsapas as well. So, um, yeah, pulled his way through the draw. Kasper Rood in the final. There you go. Um, lovely stuff. Your, your first Masters 1000 mm. at such a young age. It's, it's it's really amazing, but also kind of unsurprising as well, because I feel like this has been on the cards for a while and it's sort of exactly the sort of thing you expect.
1: <laughs> I think that's what's so scary about it, because, you know, he is so young. And I think, you know, at, you know, at that age, we sort of as- we're sort of associating doing these things with you know players like Rafa, like Roger, Djokovic, Murray, um, and again, that's the sort of that's the sort of level I think we are holding him to, and I think that's the sort of level you know the the fans are, are holding him to as well. And it's amazing to see you know despite I think the fact that he's so young and had so little time on on tour, um, you know he's not played that that many tournaments, uh, you know, in the context of his career, and. Uh, despite that the the crowd just seemed to be i mean the crowd on sunday particularly seemed to be very very pro alcaraz there was a great sign i don't know if you saw it kim of, of someone holding up a sign that said there's no escape from alcaraz which i thought was quite clever <laughs> um but uh it, it it was those sorts of that, it, to be honest it was that sort of that sort of like fan interaction seeing those signs it just shows i think how engaged people are with him so early on and that is what I think is going to be so exciting about the you know the future and certainly you know in the immediate future with this season going into the the clay which you would have assumed is you know his his best surface although you know I've been reading some comments by you know his coach Ferrero um saying that he actually thinks he might be a better hardcore player but it's certainly very interesting times for Alcaraz to see if he can carry that momentum onto a court surface that I think naturally, people are going to expect more from him just because of the, I think, the unfortunate um, connection everyone is making with with Rafa, which I think is helpful, but it's also a hindrance. And I always keep thinking, Kim, back to, uh, I think, I think Naomi Osaka and, and kind of comparisons to Serena Williams a few years ago when she, you know, she was saying, I think, along the lines of, I don't want to be the next Serena Williams. I want to be the first... Naomi Osaka and I think with Carlos Alcaraz, the way I look at his his game and his brand of tennis, I I think he should just own it himself. I don't think he should be thinking about oh, I want to be the next Rafa Nadal. I think I think what would be better is he's going to be the first Carlos Alcaraz, and I think that's where I think that's where you know his team and you know, whoever's kind of in his kind of support network, I think that should be the, you know, the focus and focus on his game, what he can do, because there is still, I think, improvements he can make to his game. You know, I think particularly, you know, obviously the way he started in these big matches, I still think there's potential work he could do on his serve. I think, you know, he could get a few more cheap, cheap points from his serve, but you can see all of the, all the talent on show and it's just a very, very, interesting time to see yeah how how it develops um given that he's still such a such a raw talent you feel um but he's just despite being so raw he's just making all these inroads um at such a young age
0: Definitely. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And um, just because he's Spanish, has a similar physique, you know, and, and has burst mm. through at a similar age to, to Rafa, there's no way you should just constantly compare. I think it will get tiresome if if you kind of do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I hope he's enjoying his first Masters title. And I mean, I'm really intrigued to see what he's going to do on the clay now, um, because although I yeah. think hard sports actually are his best surface at the moment, you know, he's still a force on the clay
1: for sure do you see him as a hard court? Do you see it as him more of as a hard court kind of pr- pro at the moment? Do you think that's an easier surface to kind of learn your, your trade on? Or do you think he'll, he'll show actually clay is his na- is his more natural home? Because I don't think you could call yourself, you know, or I don't think fans anyway could say, Oh, this is the next Rafael the Dow If he's not absolutely amazing, um, you know, on a clay court and, you know, potentially mm-hmm. with, with this win in Miami, yeah maybe maybe at the moment you could there's an argument to say yeah he knows how to play his tennis on a, on a hard court we saw that at the Australian Open we saw that at the US Open at back end of last year but we're still now coming into this time where we we need to see it now on the on the clay court
0: maybe we could just call him a hard court specialist for now <laughs> Which actually no one ever is referred to as a hard court specialist. It's like if you're if you're good on clay or grass, you you know, you're a specialist of those surfaces. No one ever really says that about hard court. So it's like mm. that's seen as a default. <laughs> and then I think, you know, it's a bit harsh on people who like oh, you know, we know that hard court is the dominant surface, more tournaments than most are played on those surfaces. So um obviously anyway, but yeah, I think um I think Alcaraz will have a great clay season as well. You know, he's in just such good form, confidence, but um certainly well, oh, I yeah, it all depends. So many factors to go into it. So, um let's let's hold our thoughts and see how he gets on in Monte Carlo, Barcelona, etc.
1: And just a word actually because just talking about his his support team because you know, there was that moment obviously with Ferrero um who'd come back uh into the camp Surprise Alcaraz. Um, I, I think he was, uh, you know, he went home to, uh, you know, for his, his father's funeral. Um, but you know, he came back and there was that ni- really nice moment, uh, that was caught on video of Alcaraz, um, and Ferrero, you know, united. And it, I think that's also what is so captivating about the, the Alcaraz story at the moment in terms of these guys are, you know, there's a, there's a bond there and it feels like, Ferrero really is that sort of father figure in in Alcaraz's life at the moment um it was interesting to hear on I think on commentary on one of his matches how how you know Alcaraz's family just essentially leaves it to his kind of support team they have kind of a hundred percent faith and trust in you know they know what's kind of what's best for him and um it's really amazing I think to see you know that that bond I think develop because you know on the tour I do think you get kind of you know, we hear about I think coaches being hired, coaches being fired or let go or trial periods, but to see also this sort of bond and this partnership I think develop as well, I think also adds to what I think is so, you know, appealing about the you know the Alcaraz the Alcaraz game and you know the, the support that he has around him. And you could see that again once he you know he won the in the match against Kasparud, you know, going into the crowd. Really, kind of celebrating it. It was uh, you could tell it was a, a real special and emotional moment for him.
0: Yeah, I think they've got such a nice relationship. Or he, mm. you know, Ferreira is. I've always sort of seen him as like a very much kind of father figure to Carlos. And I just you can tell that it's like a nice, genuine relationship, and they've got a real connection. And I think that's that's obviously paying off. So I hope it hope it continues, and um, you know. I think Ferrero is a really good suit, uh, for him and obviously working wonders as it stands.
1: I mean, Kim, what, what do you make of, of Casper Rude? Because I think all the talk has been on Carlos Alcaraz. And I think Rude is sort of in this very understated position on the tour at the moment. You know, we, you know, he obviously, I think announced himself to fans with all those kind of clay court tournament wins and everyone just saw him as a sort of person who just vultured clay court 250s and that was about it and then i think he's come along and actually you know shown people actually no that's not right uh you know i can do it on other surfaces as well and again he's he went through this week i feel like very understatedly in that kind of bottom half he had some very very good wins he beat cam Norrie. And he beat Alexander Zverev as well uh, in three sets, which was very, very impressive. And then I think he beat Serendolo in the semifinals very kind of convincingly. I mean, Caspar Rude is another player who will have high hopes going into the, the clay season given his previous prowess on it. Do you see him also kind of continuing that form on, given you know what what we've seen this week?
0: Well, despite what Nick Kyrgios thinks, that Caspar Rude <laughs> is very much just a clay quarter, mm. yeah, he's obviously proven that to be complete false uh, you know to be completely false by so you know getting to this final um he can obviously play on all surfaces but yeah I think um you know he's going into clay where he has won a number of titles and done really well on the clay um previously on the European clay court swing so I think he's looking good as well I hadn't been particularly convinced by him at you know the start of this year I think he'd sort of gone slightly under the radar and off the boil, a little bit, you know, compared to what we saw of him at, at times last year. But if he's back in, worked his way back into form, then yeah, dangerous opponent uh, potentially on the clay.
1: Yeah, he's almost too, like, yeah, under- understated. And I think, yeah, he does. I think, you know, with Miami, it's like he deserved his moment. Um, But I think, you know, naturally, that is his his way on the court, you know, watching the final against Alcaraz. He's, he's very kind of silent. There's no show, there was no kind of showcase of, uh you know, emotion. He's very respectful. There was a nice moment in that, in that first set where um Alcaraz, I think, served a, a fault with a dead ball and and Rude offered him a, another first serve. So, you know, he's a very kind of respectful, respectful player. And again, he's got a great, um you know, support team that I think is fronted by uh, his dad, who's his head coach. So again, I think he's in a very, very good position. And I think it's great to see, these players just kind of break out of the molds that i think that some i think fans or you know people kind of ass- or, or, or how they're kind of presented and you know for rude he's sh- certainly shown that he can you know his game and the way he kind of approaches particularly i think from the back of the court it's just very very difficult to handle particularly his forehand which can be absolutely absolutely massive gets a lot of top spin on it a lot of whip and yeah, can be a real handful. And, uh, you know, Miami again, I think he proved that this week. Um, given, yeah, he had some very dominant, very easy straight sets victories. Yes, he had a little wobble against, uh, Sasha Zverev in the quarterfinals, but, uh, yeah, got a game that I feel could, could go very, could work very, very well for him. And again, another player like Alcaraz, who's, you know, closer to the start of his career, uh, than, than to the end of it. And, you know, he will be, again looking forward to the clay season and thinking yeah you may know me as a guy who won all those those 250s but you know given he's got to a masters 1000 tournament um you know on, on a hardcore he sh- certainly should be looking higher higher than that and you know with the absence of rafa particularly for the the first half at least um of the clay season medvedev's not going to be there either there's potential there's potential opportunities there for him to again elevate his position
0: Yeah. And the reason Medvedev won't be there is because we heard, um, you know, after Miami that he's having to take uh, one to two months off potentially to have surgery. Uh, He has been playing with a small hernia and he's decided to kind of fix it and just uh, take some time out to to have the surgery. So. You know, we saw him struggle quite a bit in, in Miami. He lost mm. to Hubert Hercash, uh in straight sets, but Medvedev was really struggling with the heat. He looked dizzy. He was sort of just really out of sorts. So, um, you know, obviously Hurkacz has won this title before, obviously playing as very, very well as well. I mean, he
1: played very, very well. I think that was actually the best match I saw him mm. play this season um, against Medvedev. Obviously, he likes playing Miami. He's the... Mm the defending champion but uh yeah as you said medvedev was physically not with it and he did Kim, come out with a, a medvedev-esque quote after the match saying every muscle just went cramp 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 i was like a fish on the sofa
0: i mean a fish on the sofa i might start using <laughs> that one myself when I'm i feel like i'm just a fish feeling... on the sofa
1: all the time
0: yeah, Certainly I mean, the weekend. right now I feel like a fish on the sofa. Uh, I was at a wedding yesterday, <laughs> feeling a bit like worse for wear today. Uh, <laughs> so Medvedev's like summed up. How he I'm does like right his
1: fish analogies, doesn't he? Because he did that fish, that like dropping fish celebration. Mm. Um, when he won, uh, his, his, you know, his, obviously his first Grand Slam title. Now he's got another, he's now got another fish analogy. I don't know if he likes his, his, his fish. fish. Yeah, maybe he does. But, uh, yeah, not a great, not a great, tournament in the sense that he was so close to reclaiming world number one i mean he he needed to beat her cash to to do that but unfortunately for him he missed out i don't think he's going to be annoyed by it i think you know he he thinks probably i'm gonna have plenty more opportunities to get to kind of world number one in the future but you know obviously with this setback you know with this hernia operation potentially putting his You know, his schedule at risk for the Clay season, potentially not even playing the French Open and just, you know, maybe doing a little bit of an Andy Murray and just having to go straight into the grass court season. We'll have to wait and see. But, um, yeah, it's not been, it doesn't feel like it's been a great sunshine double for, for Medvedev. And I think, yeah, with this operation, this further setback, it's just been a bit, his season's been a little bit kind of stop start after the, uh, the highs of reaching the Australian Open final.
0: But maybe that's also partly because he's got this hernia. So it's like, Mm. just let's stop it from getting any worse and just deal with it now. Um, Just a note on Hubert Hercash. Um, I mean he won the men's doubles with John Isner, so they paired up, uh, won the doubles, beat uh, you know, some top teams to get there. Um, they beat Wes Kulhoff and Neil Skopsky in the final in, in straight sets. Um and Isner is obviously the, the doubles man of the moment because he won Indian Wells with Jack Sock uh two weeks ago. So he's done the Sunshine Double but in doubles, uh, which I don't think has happened very often. I think the last time that happened was in nineteen eighty nine. So fair play to John Isner doing that at home. Mm. Uh they they did knock out your your faves, uh, Kravitz and Mies, Joel, uh, en route. And also Joe Zulsbury and Raji Bram.
1: Yeah, they knocked out a few of my faves, uh Kokonakis as well, and then Kulhoff Yeah,
0: in
1: the finals. So uh yeah, like yeah, very, very, very decent, you know, run. John Isner. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where this has, has come from, but uh, that felt like a very much a scratch pairing. Um, you know, first time they paired 2022. But hey, it shows what you can do. I think with two big servers on their game, you can just, you know, walk your way to the title.
0: I do love uh, Hubert Herkash's outfit as well. The, that bright sort of fluorescent yellow shirt he was wearing this week. And his, <laughs> his shorts just looked like he was off to the beach. It was very colourful. And I don't know, he just had this like quite relaxed vibe about him.
1: If you were John Isner and you had to pick Jack Sock or Hubert Herkash, who would you who would you be going with?
0: I'd go for Hubert I personally. Th- I mean, I think, you know, he's won this tournament in the singles last year. Obviously likes these courts. Um, has a has a great game. Um, so a bit, but obviously it doesn't matter for John. Honestly. he seems to win with whoever he plays with. <laughs> yeah, maybe so... we should.
1: I should sign up with him. We'll just walk our way to another title. Yeah. Um.
0: No, I. Yeah, interesting. I. I I'd probably still
1: go with with Jack Sock. I think he's a more. It's probably more for me. He's a more accomplished doubles player. Given, I think what he did with. Vachek Pops Hospicil. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, but enough. um yeah, very I mean, very, 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 very handy uh, you know, win um yeah, for John Isner, Hubert Herkash. I mean, Kim, moving back to the singles as well, um, we've obviously got to talk about, I feel like we talk about this every week. Nick Kyrgios, Yannick Sinner. Uh Nick Kirios has been fined a total of thirty-five thousand dollars for his behaviour um during his round four loss to Yannick Sinner. In particular, that first set, which uh, Kurios lost on a tiebreak, he was <laughs> felt like he was in constant, constant—should uh, I say—chatter, constant frustration uh, with Carlos Bernardes, the umpire. It was sort of awkward at one point. Bernardes walkie-talkie kind of went off during the point, and they had to play a let. But yeah, this was classic Kurios. I feel just finding a something to get annoyed at. That could potentially deflect from any sort of defeat i think he sort of you know found yannick sinner was a very cool calm collected customer and was able to kind of very much deal with what kyrgios was was throwing at him and i don't know if he was trying to set up a felt like he was trying to sort of set up a guard for himself um against yeah any sort of loss that that felt inevitable as the the later we sorry the more and more we got into the match
0: yeah, I, I don't think those $35,000 worth of fines are going mm. to do anything, though. You know, like we've said before, it, it, he doesn't seem to respond to monetary uh, punishments and just keeps behaving badly uh, as as he does. Um, he also, when asked about his behaviour after the match, just did not, like, apologise. He just defended what he was doing and mm. basically turned it around to Carlos Bernardo saying that he wasn't going to get uh, a slap on the wrist he said for his dreadful umpiring performance um so not even kind of taking any side of ownership over his own actions just mm. totally deflecting it um which seems a bit hopeless, it feels like really. a shame. because
1: I felt like we made
0: I feel like we made
1: strides with Nick Kyrgios over the sunshine double because we we saw he played he was playing some really really good tennis i think he played some really really good tennis in that match against Yannick Sinner, but you know, obviously part of tennis is learning how to deal, you know, with the, the heat of the moment and in defeat as well. And again, there is just still massive, massive uh, strides that Nick Kyrgios needs to take in that department. So uh, yeah, well, well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, he's interesting. He is scheduled to be playing uh, in Houston on the clay. I can't remember the last time Nick Kyrgios played on a clay court. So I'm wondering how well his um you know his his tennis on the hard court is going to translate to that given i can't imagine he would have trained or practiced a lot, but at the same time, yeah I still think you know if he if there is that magical moment he can or that magical tournament he can keep it together i i think you know i certainly think he could go and win it given i feel like given what I've seen over the last over the last few weeks.
0: He could do, but I don't know if any of the listeners are with me on on this one, but I don't I just, I'm done with Kyrgios like if he continues to behave the way he does, I don't care what he does tennis wise because I don't want to watch him. He's not like a personality that I appreciate and I don't really want to have his antics on the court it's just a bad look for tennis Uh, I don't think, I think it's gone past the point of him being a character he's just sort of just negative, actually, for the game, I think, despite his innate talents, you know. So I, there's plenty of other players that have talent and behave better, and I think they deserve our attention more. Uh, I know we've we've been guilty because we talk about Kyrgios a lot and maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but I've just kind of got to my tolerance threshold with Kyrios right now. So perhaps I'll I'll see differently in a few months. Um, (laughs) But maybe I'm being a bit harsh. Listeners, let us know what you think on this one. (laughs) Uh, But let's take a quick break now. Uh, But do join us in the second half. We'll be having a look at all the women's results from Miami, including... Igor Shviontek sealing the Sunshine Double, uh, Naomi Osaka's Hardcore Resurgence and also we'll be looking ahead to the start of the clay season so do not go anywhere. Welcome back to The Passing Shop with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to the women's results from Miami, which saw a very unsurprising winner in Iga um a very unsurprising scoreline in the final, and um, also saw her pick up uh, the world number one trophy and officially today become the new WTA world number one. So if you're Igor Shvantek, life doesn't really get any better right now, does no. it, Joel?
1: <laughs> no, it was uh, a really dominant victory. It was a really dominant week. Uh I don't think she dropped a set <laughs> through the throughout the tournament. Um it was just, yep, yeah, opponent turns up and then sixty minutes, hour and a half later, Igor Shvyontek walks off the the winner. And against Naomi Osaka, I think we were all expecting a real blockbuster match in terms of, you know, it potentially going three sets, it being, uh, you know, a, a quite a topsy-turvy battle potentially, but absolutely not. Igor came through six four, six love. Um, I think her movement and her accuracy in particular was too good for, for Osaka. And I think Osaka just, you know, got, maybe got her tactics a little bit wrong. I think she acknowledged her, certainly her positioning for Igor second serve. Um, you know, she was really hugging that baseline, really trying to be aggressive, and it wasn't, it wasn't sort of working. I was sort of thinking whether she should have just sort of stood a couple more steps back and, you know, be able to kind of wind up for a, uh, you know, a a big forehand, um, or maybe or maybe change it up because I don't think it was really kind of working for her, and it wasn't obviously putting her on the right foot at the start of the start of the point, in particular, on that in that second set where yeah, Sviontek just just ran away with it, but. I don't really know how much of a difference that would have made because she was just playing some great tennis. She's the world number one. We all know how great she is in finals. Kim, interestingly, she's only lost one final on the WTA tour, and I think that was when she was nineteen years old. And I feel like if I'm Polona Hercog, that's the that's my one claim to fame at the moment. It would be I've beaten Iga Tech in a in a WTA tour final. No one else has done it. And for Naomi Osaka, as great as we know she is uh, on the tennis court, on a hard court, and what we've seen in Miami, to be bageled in the second set, I mean, that just says it all, really, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, Iga for first of all, though, when she gets to this, yeah, like you said, when she gets to these finals, she, she's really on a mission, doesn't ever drop many mm. games. And I did think, oh, Osaka will be different. You know, she seems to be playing really well again. Um, you know, she's too too classy to be I don't know overrun like this in a final she's got too much caliber but yeah even she fell the way of of others in in these finals against Fiontek and um you know it was it was much tighter obviously when when the match started out it's a long kind of 10-minute game to begin with um but you know Fiontek had some break points Osaka saved them had to like get past seven juices um but yeah Fiontek obviously got the first break a couple of games in and you know took the first set and that, that was it and just Sasaka wasn't able to um to make any inroads really on on ne- you know never had a break point so if you're if you're serving like that and comfortably holding it's so so much more difficult isn't it to to kind of have the result going your way and to yep. get the win so
1: i mean it, again what's what's sort of scary is that <laughs> we're getting into i think the you know this part of the season the court surface that i think Igor Egishfiontech feels the most comfortable on, um, you know, she's a French Open champion. She knows her way around a, a clay court. And, you know, we're talking about Sfiontech beating Osaka on what we think is Osaka's best court surface. Um, we certainly, I think, know that Naomi Osaka has a lot of improvements to make. Um, I think to be at kind of Sfiontech's level, um, on, on a clay court. And it feels like this was, you know, if there was going to be a, a match, I feel like, you know, over the next few months where, you know, or or, or between a uh, head to head between Shvionte and Asaka, this was probably Osaka's kind of best chance, maybe to uh, to beat Shvionte because once we get into that clay season, I think if this matchup happened again, I still think we would, you know, see the same result. And you know, I don't think that's you know, given that you know Shiontek is the world number one, I think that is to be expected. And I think you know, it's interesting given you know she was obviously. You know, there would have been people saying, I think, in the immediate aftermath of, of Ash Barty you know, retiring that Igor Fiontek was sort of gifted kind of this world number one status because Ash Barty, you know, wasn't there. But the reality is the fact that Siontek won the Sunshine Double, even if Ash Barty hadn't retired, Shiontek still would have been number one. So I really do think this shows how she's really in a world of her own at the moment it's almost, I I, I don't, I almost want to say it's kind of like those, you know, those eras Kim, of of when Serena Williams was kind of so dominant on the tour. I don't, you know, I feel like we're, we're not necessarily there just yet. I mean, we're still, it's still a very good kind of streak. She's on 17 kind of straight wins, third consecutive title, but we are getting to that sort of, that sort of level. And, you know, the momentum that she has carrying it on, to her best court surface, it just doesn't feel like it's going to stop anytime soon.
0: Yeah. And I love the fact that she's got, you know, six singles titles overall. One of those is a Grand Slam. Four of them are a thousand tournaments. Yeah. She's not interested in those. (laughs) No, definitely not. Um, Yeah. She's not like, I think you've said like, she's not a placeholder for Ash Barty. She Mm. is rightfully at the top of the game. She would have, been there, had she won these tournaments regardless of what Ashparti was doing. So I hope that there's no kind of feeling like, oh, you know, it's only because Ashparti's retired, because by far and away, Shyontek deserves it. And you know, she's won three thousands in a row now. It, it's it's you know, that's doesn't happen every day and especially not on the women's tour, actually. So I do wonder, you know, is this like a new period of dominance? I know you've mentioned, yeah, it sort of does remind you somewhat of when Serena was sort of just racking up titles left, right and centre. But, you know, as we transition onto the clay... We'll see what Shviontek can do to continue this form. I don't see any reason why she wouldn't be able to, because obviously we know she's fantastic on the clay. Uh, She won, was at Rome last year, you know, thrashing Karolina (laughs) Pliskova. We all remember that final. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) I don't think you do if you're Karolina (laughs) Pliskova.
0: No, I don't think she wants to remember that one. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. But I mean, interestingly, yeah, Asaka is is going on to the clay as well. She's really going to try and like up her game on the clay. She knows that she's not like an expert on the clay. It's not her best surface, but she she has got to a few sort of semis and quarters there before. Um hasn't gone deep at Roland Garros, but you know, she's got the skills and the tools to do that. So I think it's be really exciting to see what she can do on the clay this year if she's really going to have a good crack at it and not kind of miss miss the whole season. Um so she said she's going off to Europe uh now to train before Madrid. Um she's actually going to have a real um like a real kind of crack at it this year which Mm -hmm. is going to be good
1: yeah because it it doesn't feel like we've really seen what Naomi Osaka is about on on a clay court so I'm glad that she you know is is taking on this challenge I said as I said I think I've said before on the podcast like I think the you know the arguably the kind of the challenge I think with the the tours and how they're set up at the moment is that for the big players it's almost too easy I think to kind of pick and choose when you play so when you hear someone of like a, a Naomi Osaka's caliber actually is like actually I'm going to go and see how I do you know in Europe uh, on the red clay before the uh, you know in the build-up to the French Open it's actually kind of really it's really really exciting you know we've seen how good she is we've seen her on the you know the hard courts at the Australian Open US Open um but yeah we we now can now look and understand where her level is at on a a clay court. Because I do think one of the big issues for her um, and and one of the things she's going to need to address, I think, if she wants to be a real threat come Roland Garros, is her movement. Um, I don't think her movement around the court is as good as other kind of top players like Iga Svjantek. And I think that potentially kind of hinders her when she comes up against these really big matches um i think it hurt her a little bit actually in the the final against fiontech so you know we'll we'll have to you know wait and see how she develops i mean kim she did she did jokingly say that she's going to need to watch a lot of rafa nadal videos on youtube <laughs> to see how he moves but yeah do, i mean do you see asaka as a as a as a viable threat, given what we've seen on the hard court, or do you think it's it's impossible it's impossible to tell, given you know how different these court surfaces are?
0: Oh, certainly viable. I mean, I don't know if she'd be ready to go all the way and win Roland Garros. But having said mm. that, if she's changing her preparation this year and having a right go at it, then why not? She's certainly you know yeah. got the talent. I think I mean, um, her, but... it
1: looks like her mentality has has mm. you know really improved, and I think. I think that's a good foundational element to have to build upon. And, I, you know, I, I think without that, it would have been a lot, obviously a lot, lot harder. So I think what's been really great to see over these last few weeks is, yeah, Saka discovering that kind of, yeah, that sort of, you know, getting her mental game where it needs to be. Because at the start, it was just, it just felt very, very fragile. You know, she got shouted at by a fan and she couldn't, she couldn't deal with it. But, uh, it feels like, you know, she's very much, she's much more positive now. She's back in her own sort of kooky sort of way. I think she's having a bit more fun. I think you can tell that with the, uh, you know, her press interviews. So, yeah, I think she, it's, and she's got a good platform to go from. But now she's gonna, now it's gonna come down to putting those hard yards in, isn't it? Because she is, you still feel she is still, a... Uh, a little bit behind some of the, the top clay quarters on the on the WTA tour.
0: Yeah, right now it's quite hard to look beyond beyond tech, but <laughs> anything road. can happen, injury, the like. So um I mean just going back to Miami results, uh Blainza had a good week. You know, she lost to Osaka in the semi-final, but it was nice to see her back on track and she was winning pretty comfortably up until the set off Osaka as well. Yeah, um, came through Daria Saville, who had a nice week as well. Um, obviously, I sort of had mentioned that she was in good form and uh, battling her way through. So nice to see her kind of climbing back up the ranking. She's, you know, gone so far down because of the injury. Uh, Jessica, Jessica Pegula as well, the other uh, semi-finalist. Uh, she got through uh, on a retirement from... Um, she got two retirements two retirements yeah she was very fortunate wasn't she didn't really have to play much in those two matches um but yeah it wasn't obviously able to come through against Shiontek so um yeah uh, absolute dominant from from Shiontek uh women's doubles we had Laura ziegmund and Vera Zvonareva winning uh, in straight sets over Kuda Matova and uh, Elise Mertens who were the top seeds uh so they one through to get there. I think it was their second title of the year. Um, it's nice to see Smolarzewski actually like sort of becoming a bit more of a force on on the doubles tour, at least. Um, I mean, that's a really experience really really experienced yeah definitely um so they were a breakdown in both of those sets i think in the final but came through to uh to win that one so i mean that's a miami for for everyone that's a wrap i think till till next year till next year sunshine double um but as you said joel we're on to the clay season now and we've got uh all the clay tournaments getting underway uh we've got charleston on the green clay for the women we've got Houston on the red clay for the men um, out in the States and we've also got um, a WTA event in Bogota and we've also got an ATP event in Marrakesh on the clay so um, let's quickly kind of have a look at the draws for for the week ahead. Um, I mean let's start with Charleston which is the the top to, uh, to, top tournament for the women. It's at 500. Uh, Sabalenka is, is top seed here and, and badosa is, is the second seed. Uh, defending champion is Veronica Tudem- um and what, what are you sort of expecting from from Charleston? Are we sort of thinking that the players that have been in good nick in, in Miami, like Bencic, are going to sort of do, do things here or are they going to struggle to adapt? Are we looking at players that have been had had longer to prepare already for the clay. They're going to kind of have a bit of a head start here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm first of all looking at that top seed, Irina Sabalenka, who I think has had a not great, uh, not great sunshine double. Uh, you know, she's been the top seed, gone out early, and uh, yeah, I think she's going to, you know, look at this clay season, the start of it anyway, as a, a bit of a reset. I think a bit of a, you know back to back to the beginning because um yeah it's been not a great hardcore season for her and i think she's still obviously finding her very much trying to find her form and you know as the number one seed it's i feel like there's always inevitably kind of pressure on you to get to the the business end of these tournaments but um yeah it's just not happening for her at the moment and she could you know face allison risk uh in her opening match which could be quite tricky anisimova as well um in the third round so um yeah not not the easiest kind of part of the draw I don't think so yeah I'm certainly looking at uh, Sabalenka as someone who I think is you know looking to find some form um you know Pliskova is also back there as, as the third seed again you know she's just sort of coming back to the tour not really doing a lot um but again I think you know she could be for certainly one to watch given I think the the comeback trail that she's on and you know she's in that kind of part of the draw in that bottom half with, with Kudumetova who, you know, is looking to make it two in a row. Don't know if that will happen. I feel like Badossa is more of a certainty, I think, in terms of those top seeds potentially getting through to the yeah, to the to the latter stages at the very least.
0: No, for sure. I think um I mean if I had to pick someone I Oh, it's quite hard. I think Madison Keys has done quite well at this tournament in the past. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like she could have a, have a nice week. Um, and if she's all right physically. Um, yeah, would be would be my pick as well. Um, I mean, for the event we've got in Bogota, that's that's a 250. Um, good old Maria Camilla Osorio-Serrano is the top seed <laughs> there. Uh, it's a home event, of course, so she'll be wanting to do well there. And, and Beatriz haddad Maya is uh, the second seed. She had a, a pretty decent win, didn't she? Um, recently, I think, in Miami. Was it Svitolina that she beat um, or... Oh, I can't remember um, exactly who it yeah, was, but it, was a, it was a minority. big win, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so perhaps she can uh, go on a bit of a run as well in in Bogota. Um yeah, I mean, Yistremsk here. Harriet Dart is is in the draw mm. as well. Um, she did, did as well. Seed, yeah. Gosh, Harriet Dart is a seed. That's brilliant. Um, so, yeah, good luck to Harriet this coming week. Um, and on the men's side of events, yeah, we've got the 250 in Houston. Casper Rood is the top seed there. Um, this is actually red clay, Joel. I think we were having a, a bit of a debate whether this was also green clay, but it's red, isn't it? I just naturally
1: assumed uh, all, all clay events uh, in America are on, are on green <laughs> clay. I don't know if any of our listeners just assume that as well. But yeah, Kasparud actually, he's dropped out um, of this event given his exploits. Oh, uh, I see. Okay. Sorry. That is
0: understandable. That is understandable.
1: <laughs> <Oops>. Interest, <laughs> interestingly, he talked about his wisdom tooth causing him too much pain. Uh, so he has kind of unfortunately dropped out of the event. I'm not sure who uh, is replacing him, but we do have. Riley Apelka, John Isner, Taylor Fritz, Kim. Whenever I see Riley Apelka in a draw, I'm thinking, how many tie breaks, uh, is he going to be involved in, <laughs> in the, in the week? Um, it's always interesting, I think, to see big, big, big servers, uh, on, on clay courts to see how they do. Um, but yeah, lots of, as you can imagine, lots of Americans in the draw. Jensen Brooksby might be, might be the one to watch. I think, I think he could be quite interesting. I you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if he you know maybe went on a little bit of a run. Who knows? Maybe even got his first you know ATP 250 title. As I said, Nick Kyrgios also in there on a wild card's got McKenzie McDonald in the first round. I have no idea what sort of Nick Kyrgios we're going to see on a red clay court. Um I think that will be quite interesting viewing, more so than more so than usual. And Kim, we also had Ryan Harrison versus Christian Harrison. The Battle of the Harrisons uh, on the ATP Tour, which, again, I don't feel has happened very often, if at all. And perhaps in a bit of an upset, Christian Harrison qualifying, coming through 6-4 in the third set. So, uh, yeah, some uh, some interesting results. But you feel like an American is probably going to win this, as per usual.
0: I would imagine so. It's it's hard to look beyond them when there's so many of them in the draw. But... So. <laughs> um, I wonder how Taylor Fritz will kind of transition onto the clay um after his, you know, recent Indian Wells win. Um, and then we've got the Marrakesh event in in uh, Morocco, obviously. <laughs> um that's a 250. Felix OJ Aliasim is the top seed. Uh, but we've also got Dan Evans as the second seed. So um, I mean, looking at this draw, it looks fairly easy for FAA to make his way through. Um, I know Malik Yaziri is in his section of the draw, so obviously that would be his toughest test should he get there. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> I mean,
1: yeah, um, yeah, that would be Malik Yaziri getting to the semi-finals, which even the most ardent Yaziri fans like myself, yeah, I can't see him getting past Yiri Ves- Ves- Vesely in the first round, to be honest, but uh, yeah, it feels like quite an, it feels quite an open draw for FAA. I wouldn't be surprised if if he, you know, reaches, at least reaches the, the final. I mean, maybe Bottic van der Zandscholp could be quite a tricky customer in the quarterfinals. But, uh, yeah, I'm more interested to see how Dan Evans gets on. Um, you know, second seed, you know, Del Bonis, uh, Cecchinato from Italy, um, you know, all those years ago at the, the French Open. Um, he's also could be a potential opponent. I mean, Evans has got quite a tricky first round of field against Anduhar um of spain so um yeah i think he'll be taking it one match at a time but certainly i think dan evans uh will be you know hopefully that he can play obviously not one of his his stronger services but uh yeah let's let's see how he does and hopefully he can yeah do some damage
0: no definitely i look forward to seeing how um how he can all get on um down in marrakesh um and i think that kind of brings us to um a close Joel, because we've got um yeah four tournaments coming up this week. Uh, we'll be back next week to review all of those um exciting stuff out on the clay again. Um, well, going up to Europe. I know we had the Golden Swing in South America, but you know European yeah. American clay. There we yeah, go. it feels like
1: the clay, the clay swing has truly truly arrived. So yeah, very exciting times. Uh, you know, we've obviously got all the big tournament's coming out i think monte carlo is the first masters event as well on the horizon so yeah very exciting times on the atp and wta tours listeners Remember to subscribe to The Parsley Shot to stay up to date on all the action on whatever device you listen to us on. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
0: And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Uh, And do let us know if you've got any queries or feedback or comments. Uh, We love to hear from everyone listening. And um, if you prefer to contact us uh, via email instead of those social channels, you can do so, PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website as well, www.thepassingshot.co.uk.
1: And we will be back next Monday at Parsley Shot HQ, back in our tour catch-up mode. I'm sure there'll be a return of a mysterious player or part of the course. I'm not quite sure which yet, but uh yeah, we're going to be getting back into the tour catch-up mode. I hope you've enjoyed listening to our sunshine double content uh, over the last few weeks. And hopefully we will see you back for our next episode. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from
0: Kim. Goodbye.
1: And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon. We'll be